are going to be in Acts chapter 20 and uh, took a, about a three-week break um, and we are back and uh, thankful to be in this incredible book of the Bible this morning. And uh, as, as we turn there to Acts chapter 20, um, just reminded that what we have read and what we have walked through in this book and I think it's so important for us to see this is exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. I love that the word of Christ is trustworthy. I love that when Jesus says it, you can know it to be true. You can place your whole life in it. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he told his disciples there, he told them, he was like, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. That through the book of Acts, that's what's happening. The gospel was proclaimed in Jerusalem there in Acts chapter 2 and from Jerusalem into Judea and then from Judea into Samaria and from Samaria to the ends of the known world at that time in Acts chapter 20. This is where Paul is. Paul is at the ends of the earth, taking the good news of Jesus to a people that desperately need this good news. And I love that Jesus, the hero of scripture, said this is what's going to happen. And this is what happened. What they probably were not prepared for was that the instrument in which God would allow and use was the instrument of persecution. And it was the instrument of persecution that pushes the gospel out of Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. And I mentioned it a few moments ago, admire Paul so much. But one of the reasons that I love the Apostle Paul is that for this brother, he never lost sight of God's purpose for his life. That he never got over the fact that Christ had rescued him from his sin and rescued him from shame and rescued him to have peace with God and to live on mission with God and to live for eternity with God. Paul never lost sight of the mission and the same mission that Paul had, that same mission has been passed on from century to century that the local church, the mission to make Christ known and his glory that, that that was the mission then, and it is the same mission that we have today. That though in the West we do not face persecution, so to say, many of our brothers and sisters around the world do. And for us, it might not be persecution, but yet it takes only a few moments to turn on the TV, to scroll through your news feed, or to hear and see of the great brokenness that is all around us. But I love what Jesus told Peter in Caesarea Philippi. He said this. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16. And what I love and what I'm encouraged so much about through that is that Jesus in his omniscience knows everything that will come. He knows there are no surprises. There are no uh-ohs. He knows everything and yet in everything and even the brokenness that we all see and have experienced and many of us have a front row seat to Jesus says this I will build my church and nothing will stop it so encouraging and so for Paul where we're at in the book of Acts he has 
taking this gospel and he was rescued by God's grace and now he is taking that gospel message by God's grace all around the world. And in it and through it, as he is living on mission, that there are certain um, priorities that, that he maintains as he's on mission. And I think we see those in the text and can apply those to our context today. As the gospel is being taken on mission all throughout the world. And I want to ask a question. I just want to think of maybe what comes to mind. But I, I want to ask you this. What is your mission? And, 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 and not even to like over-spiritualize it. Like a good question would be, what is your goal? What are your goals? What is something that you are going for? What are you going for? And so, so last week I had an opportunity to hang out with some high school students and we were talking about goals and missions, not putting anybody on the spot. So I'm not even going to look down here. All right. But, but, but as we were talking, the, the question was, what is, what is your mission? What is a mission you have? And, and one is to graduate school. That's a, that's a good mission. We want to finish school. And so, so if that's the mission, then what needs to happen in order to accomplish the mission? And so how that plays itself out is perhaps it is study. Perhaps it is listening. Perhaps it is being intentional with time. Perhaps it's like getting some, some good close friends to kind of help hold you accountable as you go through that. All of us have these, this, this mission or goals that we're going for. But what we must not lose sight of is as the body of Christ, God has entrusted us with a mission. And that is to make his gospel known and his glory known. And so in the midst of this mission, what are some priorities or habits or behaviors that we need to keep in our life that are to keep us moving forward in the mission? And that is what we are going to see in the text. So a little context, Paul wants to go to Rome. He's at the tail end of his third missionary journey. He wants to go to Rome, but before he can go to Rome, he needs to go to Jerusalem. Before he continues west to Rome, he wants to go east to Jerusalem. Before he goes forward, he needs to go backward. And the rest of the book is Paul's journey headed back toward Jerusalem. And along the way, Part of his ministry has been as he has established churches and invested in churches that he has been taking up a financial contribution from these churches to take to Jerusalem when he goes back there. If you can imagine Acts chapter two, when Peter preached the gospel and thousands responded to the gospel, many of those believers who lived in Jerusalem and called Jerusalem home especially those who worked and had their livelihood in the activity of the temple, they lost their jobs. And not only was there a massive reduction in force, but there was great persecution that had broken out against Christianity in Jerusalem. And so the church in Jerusalem was very poor and in great need. And so as Paul is going, taking the gospel around the known world, he is also establishing these churches and taking up this financial contribution to be able to take back to Jerusalem, to be able to bless these, the church there in Jerusalem. And so in Acts chapter 20, verse one, the Bible says this, it says, after the uproar ceased. So by the way, a riot just broke out in Ephesus where Paul has been. 
Paul was in Ephesus more than he was in any other place, longer than he was in any other place, and a riot had just broken out. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell, and he departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Segundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus, and Trophimus, these went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to Troas where we stayed for seven days. Now, a lot just happened in a few verses. Lots of movement, lots of traveling. But, but what I want us to see is that in the mission, as Paul continues living life on mission, that as he goes, one of the priorities we see in mission is the priority of community. I love this. Paul always had a team. He always had a team. He always had people with him. When he didn't have people with him, he would ask that, that they would be sent to him. He loved doing ministry alongside others. And so who were these people? Who was Sopater and Aristarchus and Segundus and Gaius and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus? And Luke is there as well. He's the one who's writing this story. Luke is there. And so most likely these are representatives from the local churches that Paul had established and invested in and these who are going to be giving a financial contribution to Jerusalem. I love what Paul says. It was never about Paul. Paul was like, come with me, come with me. And so, so you have representatives from these churches that are now going to make the journey and make the trip with this financial contribution and make their way to Jerusalem so that as the body of Christ, they can be a blessing to that church in Jerusalem who had nothing who had little of nothing. They had all they needed, but this was to be a blessing to them. And, and so you see, Paul is all about community. And believers living on mission today, we must prioritize this. We weren't made to live life alone. Christ didn't rescue us and say, sink or swim. He gave us the gift of his presence, the Holy Spirit to indwell us. And he gave us the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, to serve and live on this mission together. Paul needed companionship. He needed friendship. He needed accountability. He needed encouragement. And we do too. And if I'm, if somebody just randomly asked, I just kind of thought about this, who are those men in my life? And perhaps ladies, who are those ladies in your life? Or who are those people that as we reflect back, who are those people who have maybe invested us in the most? Who are those people that were by our side? And my hunch is it's probably somebody who along the way knew that they loved God and they loved you and they were there to walk alongside you as you journeyed. I look back on my life and I see that my heart has been most refreshed and encouraged when serving alongside others in the mission of 
the gospel. That's why groups are so important. That's why we do Sunday school at 915. That's why we do discipleship groups, investing in one another's lives around the word of God. That's why fellowship is so essential and critical to our life. That's why ministry teams are so important that you're in it together. I mean, I was thinking even this past um, summer about going to Honduras there for, for, for those days. And, and like you just grow tighter together when you uh, live life in a schoolroom with seven other guys for a week. You know, you just you begin to learn each other a lot more. You you uh, you see each other's uh, whether it's habits or, or even just kind of like personalities. But the beauty of it is, is that you're all living on mission together and you're going into these homes together and you're sharing the love of Christ with others and you're meeting needs with others and you're cutting up with each other and you're just, you're just building life around the mission. And this is what for Paul was so important. Companionship was so important. We all need people. We all need people. And, and it's probably true. I know it's true in my life, but your most significant relationships are probably significant because you went through something together, because you did something together, accomplished something together. And so here's Paul. Paul's like, this isn't about me. This is about Jesus. He says, come with me. And they're taking their contributions and together they are making their journey and they're on their way over to Jerusalem. And so there is a unique bond that comes when you live on mission. So what helps us move the mission forward to stay focused on the mission? One is community. Community on mission. But we also see the priority of worship on mission. Verse 7 says, Now they're in Troas and says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. You guys up for it? <laughs> I, mean, we, I just keep going all day long, all right? All the way till midnight. I love that. They're gathering on the first day of the week. They would break bread. And so in that, in that time, they would have what's called a love feast or an agape feast, which in our day, not really the equivalent, but like a potluck. Everybody brings food together. And you just think uh, specifically for those who were, who were poor and in need, this would be the, the best meal of their week. And they would come together and they would share an agape feast. And after this agape feast, they would share communion together, which we're going to do in just a few moments. And then they gathered for teaching around the word. And so they're gathered there on the first day of the week. But why the first day of the week? For centuries, the church has gathered on the first day day of the week on Sunday. Why is that? Because over in Matthew chapter 28, the Bible says that after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And on a Sunday, they found an empty tomb. And that is why the church for centuries has gathered on the first day of the week, because the tomb was discovered empty on the first day of the week. And so we gather to celebrate the redemption that is in Jesus. Christians worship on Sunday because Christ rose from the dead. Now, I think it's important that Sunday is not confused with Sabbath. Sabbath was from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday. Sabbath has never changed. 
Sabbath was for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. Paul told the Colossians over in chapter 2, verse 16, Therefore do not let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Over in Romans 14, Paul said in verse 5, One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. We are not under law, we're under grace. Christ is our Sabbath rest. But I will say just a practical word of encouragement. It's there, there is great wisdom that we follow the rhythm of God. Even in creation, God didn't have to rest. God didn't have to rest, but he, he gives us that example of working hard, working diligently. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. But then there is rest. We all need rest. We're not designed to go, 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 go and never stop. At some point there is a crash and sometimes great is the fall. And so there is this this necessary rhythm that is healthy and right that we rest and we rest in the Lord. But they're gathered on a Sunday because the resurrection happened on a Sunday. And as believers, we must prioritize the gathering of the body of Christ. In Hebrews, Hebrews 10 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I have never loved gathering with the body of Christ more than I have in this season of my life. And I think it's because as the day approaches, it's like you just have this sense of urgency of the mission God has trusted to us and the necessity of gathering for worship. He says, don't neglect that. If we're going to move forward in the mission, we must prioritize the gathering. Many good things happen over the course of of a weekend, but the best thing is to gather as the body of Christ. So God help us never to forsake that. Two mentors of mine, one says every Saturday night that Sunday morning church is a Saturday night decision. And, and I love that, that little phrase because even typically on Saturday nights, I go back, you know, just pray over the message and pray for our faith family and, and just praying that, you know, decisions are being made all over the place. Like, I don't know, should we, shouldn't we? And just pray like that we never forsake this gathering that we prioritize. Another saying is that our children will, will never prioritize what we marginalize. And so there is this, there's this intentional conviction that is by God's grace, we must gather as the body of Christ to worship him. And so how do we move the mission forward? What's happening as we move the mission forward? Community is a priority. Worship is community, but also care, care, care. This is an amazing story. Verse eight, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered and a young man named Eutychus was sitting at the window and sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. He's still going. <laughs> it's midnight. He's continuing to go. Now, now it helps to kind of, again, remember what's going on. They just had a love feast. They had an agape feast. Their tummies are full. They have made their way up to the third story, or maybe they ate the meal there. I'm not sure. But, but heat rises, doesn't it? And, and have you ever had a full tummy in a warm room? 
And then the lamps, it said there were many lamps that were lit in the room. So maybe decrease those oxygen levels just a little bit. And so, so you're in this upper room, low ceilings. It's almost midnight. You got a full stomach. The lamps are burning. I mean, I don't blame you to kiss. <laughs> I, would have been, uh, I would have been out too, most likely. But Eutychus finds his way over there and he sits in this window. So he's a young man. He's probably 10 to 17 years old. He's somewhere in that age range. And the Bible says this, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from a third story window and was taken up dead. Now, who's writing Acts? Luke. What is Luke? A doctor. The doctor has seen what is taking place. He's writing in first person. The child is dead. Tragedy has struck. He has fallen the equivalent probably of about a 20 foot drop. And the physician says he is dead. Verse 10, but Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And in an Elijah-like way, God awakens this lifeless body back to life. And isn't is it not like this, but, but isn't it like this that tragedy strikes? Like just in a moment, just think in a moment, that, that worship service changed dramatically. And that's what happens when tragedy strikes. It's what happens when tragedy strikes. It's what happens when illness strikes. It's what happens when bad news strikes. It's what happens when broken things strike. It's sudden, but I, I, I'm, I love what Paul did. Paul didn't just close his eyes and plug his ears and pretend like nothing was happening. Like Paul, Paul engaged in the need. He engaged in the moment of care. Like here is a, a need and, and Paul engages and gives himself to this boy and God by God's grace brings them back to life, to which we see in the mission, care is a priority. Care is a priority on mission. It's a priority and we are on mission. And the mission, in this mission, we will need to be attentive to those needs around us. And we don't have the time necessarily to do this, but I was tempted to just like take a minute, take two minutes and just ask this question. Who is one person in your sphere of influence? And maybe it's your sphere of influence or maybe it's your circle of influence or, or just somebody you know. Who is somebody right now that has a need that you could meet that need and that God would use that in an incredible way in their life to minister to them in the gospel? And I, I'm challenged by that with Paul. Paul's not trying to pretend like a, a boy didn't just fall out of a window. He's not trying to pretend like this, this child's body is lifeless. He's not ignoring the pain or the brokenness that's happened around him. He is engaged in the moment and he is investing, sacrificing time and energy and faith and pouring over this boy. And God brings this boy back to life to which may we be encouraged Perhaps today, perhaps this afternoon, perhaps by the end of the night, the Lord may prompt your heart to meet a specific need in the life of somebody and that God would use that in an incredible way. And so as the mission continues, 
care continues. Community continues. Gathering for worship continues. And then what does Paul do? He grabs a midnight snack and keeps preaching again. Uh, He's amazing. Verse 11, and when Paul had gone up, had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a, were not a little comforted. They were a lot comforted. Paul, God uses Paul, brings healing to this boy's life. He grabs a snack and keeps preaching until daybreak. Why? I believe it was all out of the overflow of a love relationship with God. I believe for Paul, he was like, I may never see these people again. And he is pouring himself into them. Priority of community, priority of worship, priority of care. And then we also see the the priority of moving forward on mission. Another way to say it would be, keep on keeping on. (laughs) Keep on keeping on. One foot in front of the next. And sometimes that's the victory. Like just by God's grace, one foot in front of the next. Paul never lost sight of the purpose that God had for him, even in the midst of desperate need and care. Even in desperate need, he continues to move forward. Verse 13 says, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. So Asos is about 20 miles from Troas, where they're at. You could get there by boat or you could get there by foot. It's a 20 mile, 20 mile hike. And what does Paul do? Paul says, you sail, I'll walk. You go, I'll walk. And so they get on the boat. Luke gets on that boat and they, they're going to make their way around and back. And Paul says, I, I got to go. I got to walk. Why? Why? And, and, and the only, my, my hunch is over in Ephesians chapter five, over in Ephesians chapter five, Paul, Paul writes the Ephesians, the place we just read where there was a riot and where he served for many years. He says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And I don't know, but it could be that Paul was like, I gotta go. Like the time is ticking He needs to get to Jerusalem. He's making his way. And so he goes, verse 14, and then, and when he met us at Asa, so Dr. Luke, he's writing this letter. He's back with us. And when he met us at Asa, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day to Chios. And the next day we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Again, so much, so much travel but the love of Christ compelled him to go. He never lost sight of what God had rescued him for. He never lost the urgency that these people need Jesus. And so he continues to make this journey. He's hastening to get back to Jerusalem. And if you know the rest of the story, we know what's waiting for him in Jerusalem. But yet he must go. 
almost like Christ. He set his mind on Jerusalem. Paul set his mind on Jerusalem. Suffering will mark the path to Jerusalem. Suffering marks the path for Paul. And here he is. And he makes journey after journey. Why? Because he was not his own. Miletus is about 30 miles from Ephesus. And we're going to get into this next week. But he calls the Ephesian elders down. And we are going to get a, a window view and a front row seat to this incredible uh, conversation that he has with the leaders there. But you see this determination by Paul to continue. He says, I mentioned it earlier, Colossians 1.29. He says, that, or excuse me, verse 28. Him, him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. The only one who is worthy to be proclaimed, him we proclaim. The only one who could solve the sin disease, who could cure the sin disease, him we proclaim. The only one that came to live a life that we could never live, him we proclaim. The one that came and was crucified on a cross for our sin, him we proclaim. The one that was placed in a tomb and he resurrected from the dead, him we proclaim. The one that because of the resurrection proved that he's the only one that has the power to forgive our sin and then grant us peace with God. Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is why I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. May we never lose sight of the mission. We love God. We love people. We live sent. We prioritize community. We prioritize gathering together as the body of Christ. We prioritize the care of meeting needs with those we know who are hurting around us. We don't turn a blind eye or deaf ear. We are engaged in care. We are engaged in the front lines and we keep by God's grace moving forward. Why? Because of what Jesus told Peter. And I love Caesarea Philippi. There's actually a, a large, it's like a cavern there that was known as the gates of hell. And so, so as Jesus is talking to his disciples, there is a living illustration as the backdrop. And he says this, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And so by God's grace, him we proclaim. Him we make much of. Him we lift up. Him we glorify. Without him, we are, we are without hope. But through him and in him is life and life to the full. So they gathered on that first day of the week. They broke bread. Had this agape feast, and uh, it's getting close to lunchtime, so maybe you're hoping we had we had a agape feast too. That would be that would be great. But we don't have an agape feast. But they would have this feast, and then they would take communion. And so we're going to take communion together as we wrap up our time this morning. Acts two reminds us that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayer. Uh, communion, this 
this Lord's table, as some would call it, the Lord's Supper, Jesus gave this as, a, as an ordinance to the church. That, that as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. And so today we are going to take communion. And, and as we do, I, I want us to, as much as possible, I want us to try to like imagine what it might have been like to be in that upper room. I want you to try to imagine as they are having this Passover meal that Jesus is now about to bring a whole new meaning to the Passover meal. That as there in Jerusalem, Passover lambs had been slaughtered, no doubt certain areas you would smell the, the blood of the sheep that had been slaughtered. And yet now Christ has come as the true Passover lamb. And that he's having this final meal. He is, he is giving new meaning to this, Passover, to this Passover meal. In that he is the true Passover lamb. The one who has come to forgive sin and to take away the sins of the world. So Paul, when he was talking to the Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We will continue to do this until the Lord returns. Verse 27, he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so as we prepare for communion, I don't want us to jump right into it. I want to provide a little bit of space to prepare our hearts so that we don't take it haphazardly. That this ordinance is not to be taken casually, it's to be taken intentionally, prayerfully, and from a prepared heart. And so over the next few moments, we're just going to have a time of heart preparation. And I realize that can look different for a lot of folks. You know, for some it might be that you have a relationship with the Lord, but you know that you've allowed some things to hinder your fellowship with the Lord. You're in Christ. You, you know that you are forgiven, but relationally there have been some things you have allowed in your life that are, that are disrupting the fellowship. And so this is an opportunity to just before the Lord confess, it means to call it what it is and to repent of that and to rest in the gospel, rest in the gospel. It might be that when was the last time you just took a few moments and you just reflected on the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf? And perhaps even now, it's a moment to be able to do that. If you, we want you to know that in this time, like we want you to know there is freedom to move about. And so if you feel led in any way to come and pray at the altar, come and pray at the altar. 
Brother Bill, myself, Pastor Michael, we'll, we'll be down here. If we can come, if we can pray with you, we would love to pray with you. Just, just walk down. We'll pray together. Encourage one another. It could be that you're here and you don't have a relationship with the Lord. And that gospel message that was going around, Paul carrying this gospel message, it could be that today is the day of salvation. That today it's the gospel has come to you and you would acknowledge your need for Christ, repent of your sin and trust in Jesus as the Lord of your life. We would love to walk alongside you, pray with you and walk through that. No greater decision you'll ever make. And so again, just for a little while, we want to prepare our hearts to take communion together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the gift of the body. I thank you for the gift of the body of Christ that, that we gather together and we, we prepare our hearts. We reflect so much of our lives are spent running and racing. But God, this is a moment for us to be still and to know that you are God. And so Father, may we quiet our hearts and focus our attention on you, the King of Kings, the Messiah, the true Passover lamb, the hero of scripture, our savior. And we reflect on the cross and we reflect on the price you paid for our sins.